Hail and welcome, and happy Friday the 13th. My name is Margot, and this is A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. I hope you all got through the full moon in Cancer without too much emotional upheaval and lots of intuitive insight. I had a somewhat interesting experience on the day of the full moon that is relevant to today's episode, actually, so I'm going to start right off with story time. So the Thursday night before the full wolf moon in Cancer, uh, I was thinking to myself that I really didn't set too many goals for this year. You know, I'm not a big New Year's resolution person, but uh, I did want to learn to manage my time a little bit better, and I kind of hadn't really achieved that thus far during the first week of January. And I was being somewhat productive, but the days were kind of flitting by with uh, my mental checklist barely being completed. I'm a list person. Anyway, I thought to myself, you know what? Tomorrow, I'm going to have the perfect day. And I even said so to my husband because sometimes I feel like I need to say things out loud or put them in writing to make them real. So I looked over at him and I said, you know what? I'm going to have the perfect day tomorrow. And he looked at me like I was insane and said, "Uh, is that even a thing that you can control? Ever the logic and practical yet patient and supportive Virgo. And I said, no, what I mean is I'm going to go about my day exactly how I would like most of my days to go. So I'm going to wake up early, preferably before the sun. I'm going to have my coffee while I do my daily practice. Then once I'm done with that, I'm going to get in some exercise and then I'm going to take a shower and get dressed and then start my work day with all those things that I've been struggling to make time for already accomplished. It's going to be great. To that, he said, yep, (laughs) not an ounce of trepidation in his voice. So that was my goal for last Friday, to have a model day. No expectations further than just to have that one well-structured and productive day. So I got out of bed at 5.30 in the morning. I made my coffee. I went into my craft room where I lit some candles and incense. I sat at my altar. I said some prayers. Um, And then when I was finished with that, I finally picked up my tarot deck and I gave it a good shuffle and I pulled the magician. Now, I know full well that you might think that I could easily be just making this shit up, but I promise you that I'm not. (laughs) My immediate thought was, oh, wow, you know, uh, I'm actually recording a episode on the magician and the lily soon, so I'll be taking a deep dive into this card. What a quinky dink. Uh, But then I, you know, refocused and looked at it in the context of what it meant in regards to this perfect model day I was attempting to have. So. To give a quick interpretation, courtesy of Galaxy Tarot, personal power, intention, will, and resourcefulness. When this card appears in a reading, you have the potential to make things happen. The key to taking control of your life is to have a vision and then take action to make it happen. Intention and action are both required. When your intentions and action align, real magic occurs. Start gathering the resources to meet your goals. The universe is empowering you to manifest your visions. Take advantage of this opportunity by staying focused on your goals and applying your power. Interesting. Now, coming from the deck that I use on my personal altar, it's the deck that only I use, um, the deck that typically calls me out on my shit and then reads me like I'm a poorly written fan fiction. 
I'm sorry, but it's true. I, I still love you. I was basically having my mind blown by this, you know, you go girl kind of energy I was getting from this card pool. Have you ever kissed your tarot deck? I kissed my tarot deck. This was also the day that I was planning on gathering all of my notes for this episode as well. So good. Too good. Anyway, that's my story. Um, (laughs) Sorry, it probably wasn't thrilling. I just, you know, the coincidences, they come. They come frequently. And I get really excited. Anyway, that interpretation is just the tip of the iceberg. However, when it comes to the story and the meaning of the magician... And we will be getting into that in just a moment. But before I begin, I actually want to talk about Friday the 13th. Yes, this unlucky of days. Or is it unlucky? According to History.com, Friday the 13th has long been considered the harbinger of bad luck. It has inspired a late 19th century secret society called the 13 Club. I recommend you look into it. Some presidents were members an early 20th century novel, a horror film franchise, and not one but two seriously challenging terms, and I'm going to try them right now, paraskeva decatriophobia and friga triskaidekaphobia. And they both describe a fear of this supposedly unlucky day. But why? Why is Friday the 13th so unlucky? Let's take a look at it, and let's start with the number 13. So Western cultures have historically associated the number 12 with completeness. There are 12 days of Christmas, 12 months in the zodiac, uh, 12 months in the year, 12 zodiac signs, 12 labors of Hercules, 12 gods of Olympus, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 inches in a foot, 12 pairs of ribs in a body, just to name a few examples. Its successor, however, the number 13, has a long history as a sign of bad luck. Even the ancient code of Hammurabi, for example, reportedly omitted the 13th law from its list of legal rules. Though this was probably a clerical error, superstitious people sometimes point to this as proof of 13's long-standing negative associations. Also, according to biblical tradition, 13 guests attended the Last Supper, held on Maundy Thursday, including Jesus and his 12 apostles, one of whom, Judas, betrayed him. The next day, of course, was Good Friday, the day of Jesus's crucifixion. So the seating arrangement at the Last Supper is believed to have given rise to a long-standing Christian superstition that having 13 guests at a table was a bad omen, specifically that it was courting death. But that is not the only story we have in ancient mythology that strikes the same tone. In his book, Extraordinary Traditions, Nope, that's not his book at all. In his book, Extraordinary Origins of Everyday Things, Charles Panati traces the concept of the cursed number back to Norse mythology when Loki, the god of mischief, crashed a dinner party in Valhalla, bringing the number of gods in attendance to 13. While there, he deceived the blind god Hodor into shooting his brother Baldur, who was the son of Frigga queen of the Norse gods and the god of light, joy, and goodness with a mistletoe-tipped arrow, killing him instantly. From here, the idea that the number 13 symbolized evil took hold in the Norse culture and spread to the rest of Europe, becoming well-established along the Mediterranean by the start of the Christian era. It was also here that the unsettling power of the number 13 was cemented through the story of the Last Supper. So what about Friday? 
Friday's negative associations are a bit weaker, but some scholars have suggested that they also have roots in Christian tradition. Just as Jesus was crucified on a Friday, Friday is also said to be the day that Eve gave Adam the fateful apple from the tree of knowledge, as well as the day that Cain killed his brother Abel. Yet another, though, more specific example, because it actually involves the combination of Friday and the 13th day of the month, is the story of the Knights Templar. As it goes, on Friday, October 13th, 1307, officers of King Philip IV of France arrested hundreds of Knights Templar, a powerful religious and military order formed in the 12th century for the defense of the Holy Land. Imprisoned on charges of various illegal behaviors, but really because the king wanted access to their financial resources, many Templars were later executed. Some cite the link with the Templars as the origin of the Friday the 13th superstition, but like many legends involving the Templars and their history, the truth remains pretty murky. Upon further examining the likelihood of this day being an unlucky one, Some would point to a number of tragic events that have occurred on Friday the 13th, including the German bombing of the Buckingham Palace in 1940, the murder of Kitty Genovese in Queens in New York in 1964, a cyclone that killed more than 300,000 people in Bangladesh in 1970, the disappearance of a Chilean Air Force plane in the Andes in 1972, the death of rapper Tupac Shakur in 1996, and the crash of the Costa Concordia cruise ship off the coast of Italy, which killed 30 people in 2012. But are these tragic events, sad and devastating as they may be, simply coincidences? And the ones that come long before, just fabrications and silly superstitions born of a need to control the masses? The day does occur up to three times per year, depending on the calendar year. And sadly, tragedies happen every day. Plus, there's a few reasons to say that Friday the 13th is the opposite of unlucky. Let's examine those. In pre-Christian times, Friday was believed to have a unique association with the divine feminine amongst many pagans. The first clue can actually be found in the name of the weekday, which is derived from Old English and means the day of Frigg. Both the queen of Asgard and a powerful sky goddess in North mythology, Frigg, also known as Frigga, was associated with love, marriage, and motherhood. She gave protection to homes and families, maintained social order, and could weave fate as she did the clouds. She also possessed the art of prophecy and could bestow or remove fertility. On the other hand, Freya, the goddess of love, fertility, and war, with whom Frigg is often conflated, was endowed with the power to perform magic, predict the future, and determine who would die in battles, and was said to ride a chariot pulled by two black cats the unlucky targets of even more silly superstitions. Both of these goddesses were worshipped widely across Europe, and because of these associations, Friday was considered a lucky day for marriage by the Norse and Teutonic peoples. And let's not forget that Friday is also ruled by Venus, a Roman goddess of love and beauty, and the planet whose magical influences are the same. Remember, Friday, I'm in love. So, what about the number 13? It was often regarded as an auspicious number by pre-Christian and goddess-worshipping cultures for its link to the number of lunar and menstrual cycles that occur in a calendar year. Fertility was prized in pagan times, and artwork would often draw connections to menstruation, fertility, and the phases of the moon. For example, 
The Venus of Lossal is an approximately 25,000-year-old limestone carving depicting a voluptuous female figure cradling her pregnant stomach with one hand and holding a crescent-shaped horn bearing 13 notches in the other. Scholars believe this carving may have represented a goddess of fertility in a ritual or ceremony, while the 13 lines are typically read as a reference to the lunar or menstrual cycle, both of which symbolize feminine power. Unfortunately, as Christianity gained momentum in the Middle Ages, these pagan ideals stood at odds with the new patriarchal faith. Not only did the leaders take objection to the worship of multiple gods and goddesses, but the celebration of Friday, the number 13, and the goddesses who invoked love, sex, fertility, magic, and pleasure were deemed unholy. Making people relinquish these revered deities proved pretty challenging, however. So Christian authorities tried a new campaign, and that was to rebrand these deities and the women who worship them as devils and witches. Mind you, there are many other cultural origins from where the negative and very derogatory depictions of the witch stem, chiefly that of the Jewish culture. This is just one branch on a pretty rotten tree. But, for example, when Norse and Germanic tribes converted to Christianity, Frigga was banished in shame to a mountaintop and labeled a witch. And it was believed that every Friday, the spiteful goddess convened with a meeting of 11 other witches plus the devil, a gathering of 13, where they would plot evil schemes for the coming week, which is a far cry from love, marriage, and motherhood. So... These days, of course, Friday the 13th still haunts the Western imagination, but with conversations around the role misogyny has played in silencing powerful women throughout history, now in the mainstream, perhaps the narrative of this unlucky date and the female deities associated with it might soon be rewritten for the future. Okay, now it's time to get started with Fortune and Flora. I couldn't let Friday the 13th go by without discussing it. So let's talk about the magician. The magician is where we move on from ideas and imagination and dreams of what could be, as is so potent in the fool energy, to material reality and realizing those imagined things and bringing them into actualization and material being, just like magic. This is fun stuff. Let's look at the traditional Rider White Smith depiction of the magician for a moment. This mage is almost always shown standing behind an altar set in what appears to be a garden of red roses and white lilies. And on this altar, his tools, which are also the symbols of the four suits, um, the sword or the dagger, the wand or the staff, the pentacle or the coin, and the cup or the chalice. They also represent the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water, as well as the four directions, north, east, south, and west. With these tools at his disposal, he is capable of creating his reality. So, all of these spread out before him, and he stands with one hand pointed to the sky and the other pointed to the ground, as if to communicate to the viewer, as above, so below, the symbolic connection between the earth and sky the inner consciousness and the outer world, the microcosm and the macrocosm. He is poised as the conduit between these two opposite but equal parts. Above him is often shown the sign of infinity, 
and around his waist in Ouroboros, the snake devouring its own tail. These represent eternity and transmutation. So how does this translate, especially in regards to the fool, our hero, on their hero's journey? Well, the fool, as we know, was full of hope, imagination, dreams, and trust in the universe. He is the number zero, and these things, for all their potential, don't quite exist in the realm of reality. The magician is something else. He is ego and desire, and the impulse to create. And he will combine imagination with personal desire to bring about will and willpower and material reality. In numerology, number one is the seed that holds the potential for new growth. One is the starting point. And as such, the magician marks the first step in the fool's journey to enlightenment. One is the presentation of an opportunity. It represents the masculine principle of creation. The energy of one must be acted upon in order for growth to occur. And that is entirely at the root of what the magician stands for. The ability to act on one's desires in order to draw them into material being to realize the things that the fool could only really imagine. The magician has all the tools he needs to do this, but most importantly, he has the ability and the confidence. So we go from the fool who trusted in the universe to the magician who trusts in himself. And this is what comes into play now. It's also where magic comes into play. Because what is magic but taking your hopes and desires and making them manifest, drawing them into reality with our will and the tools that we have at our disposal, often tools that are inside of ourselves. This is also the ability to change your consciousness as well as your energy. It need not only apply to material objects, but the drive and the power to change your situation for a desired outcome. This is what the magician embodies. They are willpower and pure, single-minded determination. So let's call back to the fool's journey, the hero's journey, and think of every epic hero story that we've ever read or watched on a screen. It seems that a recurring theme is always that our hero goes off on a quest only to quickly realize that what's needed in order for success is a reevaluation of the self the ability to discover and trust that all that is needed to complete this quest is inside the hero. It has always been there all along, and the hero must tap into this innate ability in order to triumph. The Magician card says, you have all the resources you need to achieve your goals and realize your desires, and that they are all inside of you. You are the magic. You need only choose to take the next step in creating the reality that you want, but you must choose. If the fool is the leap of faith, the magician is the desire, the will, and the choice. So the magician the blah, 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 the magician has chosen to realize his desires using focused intent, his potent and powerful ability to tap into the universal force, his mastery of the tools that he has before him, and his harnessing of both the spirit and material realms. Sound familiar? He's a witch, y'all. <laughs> Just kidding, but not really. In this first adventure of the fool's journey, 
what we see is imagination coming together with action to arrive at manifestation. The choice, the action, and the will is what's required here because the tools are already here. We all have them. They may look different from everybody else's tools and we may use them a little differently, but they are there. This is what the magician communicates as he looks on at the card reader from behind his altar. That as you realize your potential and as you begin to live in sync with the creative forces of the universe, you can manifest anything you put your mind to. You are both the student and the teacher. In Magical Tarot, Spreads, Spellwork, and Ritual for Creating Your Life by Robin Valentine. It is recommended to use the Magician card in your spellwork if you are working with the energies of abundance, power, creativity, and any magic needing full or extra strength. Uh, I'm actually going to read directly from her book. There's a section in here where she elaborates. We use the magician, much like the full moon, to hone energies that need our full energy and potential. He is the witch's card. Because this card is so open-ended, our focus is the use of the self tapping into our power. We are looking at magical energies that deal with you and manifesting potential in your own life. I would not use it when helping someone you know. You are the divine spark for our purposes here, not those around you. The magician can be used in spell work targeting major life shifts. The magician mirrors the same energy as the fool who is about new beginnings, but focuses more towards self-starting. Unlike the fool's dumb luck, the magician is purposeful, driven, and holding a lot of calculated energy. Applying for a job that will launch your career? Consider magic surrounding this card. This is the kind of energy we are looking at. As the magician is about the self and confidence. It is perfect to use in magic involving confidence and glamour magic. Use it as a tool when charming a necklace or ring to bring self-confidence, or use it to bring yourself a voice before public speaking. Confidence is key, and the magician's magic exudes this energy. So, she also shares a really amazing spell, which incorporates the magician card, and I am going to get to that at the end of the episode, But before we do that, we're going to move on to the lily. You know, that flower that is actually pictured pretty often in the garden where the magician's altar stands, along with red roses, of course. Much like the rose, there are few flowers quite as recognizable as the lily. Also like the rose, the lily in its meanings and symbolism is extremely versatile. There is a very contradictory nature about the flower, as it is commonly used in both bridal bouquets and funeral wreaths, but you can draw some sense from these contradictory uses when you consider the common root symbolism of the bloom, and that is purity. If you're familiar with the imagery of the Rider-Waite-Smith style tarot decks, then you are familiar with the combination of red roses and white lilies uh, that can be found throughout. They come up pretty often. The first time that they appear together, however, is in the Magician card. Fertility and abundance are major themes in this tarot. And the rose as feminine and the lily as masculine seem to make sense, at least for the Magician card, as the Rider-Waite-Smith deck takes much of its inspiration from Hermeticism, where the masculine and feminine principles are very present. And all things are believed to have both qualities. 
the presence of the four elements as represented by the altar tools would then call for a completeness by including these two principles in the depiction. Symbols like the rose and lily have multiple meanings, however. Based on more reference from the Hermetic tradition, the rose represents wisdom and the lily, compassion. As we get further along in the tarot, we can see these themes play out a few times, like in the Nine of Swords, where an individual seems to have just suffered from a nightmare, or anxiety is keeping them from restful sleep. The wise rose on the bedspread of the Nine of Swords offers rational comfort and a reminder that dreams aren't real. Or in the Six of Cups, the generous lily shows the compassion and kindness of the older boy towards the younger girl as he gives her a cup with a white lily inside. Wisdom and compassion are key to many of the cards in the tarot. The roses and lilies reinforce the magician's knowledge and help empower us to act fairly and with kindness, even while we realize our own desires, just as they later, appearing in the Hierophant card, allow that character to pass on his wisdom generously. So, the lily as a symbol of compassion. Interesting. When looking into ancient lore surrounding the lily, there wasn't a whole lot of evidence to support this idea. Uh, We know that lilies were said to have grown wherever Eve wept after being expelled from the Garden of Eden, and I found that the lily was sacred to a Minoan goddess named Dictina, also known as Britomartis. She was a goddess of hunting and mountains, mostly worshipped on Crete, and she is sometimes syncretized with Artemis, the Olympian goddess of hunting. One thing I did find, however, was an association between the lily and St. Joseph, the husband of Mary. He is actually most easily identified in religious art because he is often depicted holding a lily. We know based on his story alone that he must have been a compassionate person. I mean, his would-be son was conceived through immaculate conception after all. What a guy. Through their association with Mary, however, lilies became the symbol of innocence, chastity, and purity which may have been their symbolism long before her, as we know Artemis is a virginal maiden goddess. It's perhaps the link between lilies and purity that explains why white lilies are so commonly used in funeral flowers. The soul of the deceased is now at peace, represented by the lily's link with innocence, and these days it's common to use stargazer lilies to symbolize sympathy. Another meaning of the lily emerged from the beliefs of early alchemists who thought the flower could help turn base metals into gold because the inside of the bulb was golden yellow. And around this time, an association with both pride and wealth also emerged. There are no known medicinal uses for lilies, at least not any popular ones, as the plants are highly toxic. But as such, the magical properties would logically point to the power of banishment, and it is believed that lilies can help with breaking love spells, banishing ghosts, repelling unwanted visitors, and providing protection. The tiger lily is a popular choice because it can bestow all of these magical powers, plus the ability to boost wealth and prosperity. What a flower, that tiger lily. It is said that you can plant lilies in your garden to keep away ghosts and evil, carry a lily to stop snakes from approaching you, and wear them again to break love spells being cast upon you. 
Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs does confirm the powers of protection and breaking love spells while also claiming that the first white lily of the season will bring strength to whoever finds it. Perhaps the white lily in the magician card is strengthening his resolve to manifest his desires. Or perhaps it simply points out, because of the purity of the lily, that despite what some common modern patriarchal religious themes may lead us to believe, the manifestation of one's desires, the pursuit of true happiness through conjuration, and the acting upon one's personal will is actually a pure and virtuous deed. Imagine that. But I suppose we all have to decide for ourselves. Before I leave you, I want to revisit Magical Tarot by Robin Valentine and share the Magician card spell. Uh, Incorporating the energy of the tarot into your spell work is something that I absolutely love to do. And if it's something that you're interested in trying your hand at, I would very highly recommend this book uh, to help you get started with incorporating major arcana cards into your spell work. So the magician spell is carrying yourself with pride. The magician knows that he has all the tools to make his dreams a reality. We also often have the tool we need before us, but we lack the confidence to see it forward. Charming a small object to keep with us aids in applying those tools with a brave and confident face. Whatever situation you've found yourself in, you've worked hard to get there, so help yourself with an added boost of confidence. The best lunar phases for this spell are the full or waxing moon. The best day of the week is Friday. The astrological moon phase is any fire sign. And you will need bay laurel or black pepper essential oil, a carrier oil, the magician tarot card, a red candle, sage or dragon's blood incense, a cauldron or thurible for burning incense, and a rose quartz, either a pocketable stone or a piece of jewelry. Instructions. Before beginning, please make sure that your essential oil is in a carrier oil of some form to avoid harming your skin or the stone, especially if you opt for the hot or black pepper oil. The magician should either be placed on your working altar or propped up with your ritual tools before beginning. Light the candle. Using the oil, anoint the rose quartz while repeating this charm three times. I hold my head up high. I have all the tools I need. Make me happy. I have all the tools I need. I am filled with confidence. I have all the tools I need. I am my own magician. I have all the tools I need. After performing your charm, let the incense and candle burn until they are eliminated. Wear or carry the rose quartz with you in all future situations that require a confidence boost. You may cleanse and recharge your rose quartz between encounters under the appropriate moon. A full moon or a Monday or Friday waxing moon are perfect. And now I want to make an announcement before I wrap up here. Um, A Patreon shout out actually to my first few Patreons so far. I just want to say thank you so much for the support. And I 
I'm sending much love to Leslie, Teresa, and Amberly. I, I can't express how much I absolutely appreciate the support, and uh, I hope to grow the little community at patreon.com slash A is for agrimony. Uh, if you're interested in checking it out, please do so. I am releasing unedited video format episodes two days in advance to the normal Friday podcast drop. So if you're interested, you can watch the unedited material two days in advance every Wednesday. It is... <laughs> filled with bloopers and dogs barking and me choking on whatever I'm drinking while I'm recording. Just wanted to give you a little insight to everything that gets actually taken out before I drop an episode. Also, I do weekly collective card readings for the entire community. I really enjoy doing those. And a monthly spell where you get to choose the spell. I will put out a poll at the beginning of every month and you vote once you vote, I will create a spell and then perform the spell with you and provide a step-by-step guide with visual content for all of that. Uh, within the next month, I will be opening up my top tier, which will uh, include everything from the other tiers plus a spell box. So that'll go along with the monthly spell and will include everything you need to perform the spell. Plus for signing up, you get some free merch. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast, I would absolutely love and appreciate it if you could drop me a review. Us podcasters really, really rely on those reviews to help us expand our reach, and it really, really helps. So if you could drop a review, I would absolutely appreciate it. The support that I've received so far has been amazing, and I feel so encouraged to keep on going with this passion project of mine, and I absolutely love and appreciate you all for it. So thank you so, so much. That is all that I have for you today on this Friday the 13th. So please be well and have an amazing weekend. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A is for Agrimony, coffee-stained notes on witchcraft. If you want some more content, please go to www.aisforagrimony.com, where you can find my blog, episode archive, spells and rituals, and the soon-to-come coven shop. You can also follow me on Instagram at A underscore is underscore for underscore agrimony. That's an underscore in between every word. Or like my Facebook page at facebook.com slash A is for agrimony. And if you're interested in some exclusive insider bonus content, you can join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash A is for agrimony, where I share unedited video format episodes, weekly collective card readings, and much more. Want to contact me? Shoot an email to reachmargo at A is for agrimony.com. That is all. Be well and talk to you next time.